1: Hello everyone. Uh, happy new financial year. Welcome back to Ausbiz and the call between now and 1 p.m. Eastern. We take a look at 10 stocks that you've suggested and uh, we put them to an expert panel for their guidance. I come up with the stock of the day and uh, also today being the uh, the 1st of July. It's actually uh, um, 12 months since we started the calls portfolio. Um, if you're a regular viewer to this um uh, to this show, you'll know that any of the stocks that our expert panel gives a unanimous buy to goes into our fantasy portfolio. If that stock comes up again, even if it's in front of a different panel and doesn't get unanimous approval, it comes out. And uh, we've been tracking this since the 1st of July last year. So we'll be able to unveil the full year results um, in about half an hour's time. So uh, we'll take a look at at how our fantasy portfolio has gone compared to the rest of the market and because stocks come in and out i suppose you could call it an active manager of the portfolio so we'll see how we've uh, how we've gone against the benchmarks it will be fascinating that's coming up and we'll go through our best performers in the portfolio also the duds uh, the best sector performances and the like, so it will be fascinating. All right, let's welcome our panel for today. A regular on the program, Owen Ruskovich from uh, the Rask Media. Owen, how are you, mate? Welcome back.
2: Great to be here, Koshi. Always a pleasure, mate. Um, happy new financial year. This is a special time. Generally, everyone yep. cools down a bit. today but um, (laughs) hopefully we can bring some new ideas for the new financial year
1: yeah exactly right everyone's done their tax selling over the last couple of days and we could just settle back down to normal again and uh and a newbie on the panel today and a good mate of owen's as well luke winchester from oracle investment management luke great to have you aboard the call thank you for joining us
0: yeah thanks koshi hey owen um yeah owen and i've done an interview on on his podcast before so uh, we're familiar but um Yeah, stoked to be on, make the debut, and it's a it's a a great list of stocks too uh, to jump into. Tell us about Oracle Investment Management. Sure. Well, I mean, the main thing that differentiates us, we're based out of Newcastle, so um, that, that's yeah. the first thing. But we're a uh, vertically integrated, so we, um, we're an advisory group that feeds into the investment arm, which obviously that's where I'm based. Um, I manage our emerging companies portfolio, which is the small to mid caps, which, you know, uh, as I said before, a few of the stocks fall well and truly into my specialty there. But, you know, we run large caps internationals and fixed interest right. as well oh. for, um, you know, At and, of Newcastle,
1: That's fabulous because we also have, uh, we love uh, uh, our regional panellists, Andrew Whelan uh, from uh, mm. DP Advisor at Wealth Advisory out of Toowoomba is a regular. So it's great to have you aboard. That's fabulous. Yeah. All right. Let, let's get into it. Got a busy show ahead. Uh, Stock of the day. I thought this is one that's come up quite a bit on the um, on the call um, in the past at one of the, if you like more defensive stocks, foundation stocks, that a lot of our experts uh, follow. The Charter Hall Long Whale Real Estate Investment Trust, it's a REIT. Um, Whale means weighted average lease expiry. Um, So it's, it's in properties, blue chip properties with long leases to the top end of town and governments. Uh, It's come out of reaffirmed full year's earning guidance and upgrading next year as well. The REIT now expecting uh, financial year 21 uh, operating earnings per share of just over 29 cents per security, a solid 3.2% beat on the last fiscal year. Company even more optimistic for this new financial year, tipping operating earnings per share guidance at an increase of four and a half percent as its portfolio grows with purchases like the one-third stake in Melbourne's Myer Burke Street Mall. Uh, joining us later to hear from the uh, Charter Hall fund manager, RV Anger, is coming up um, in the next hour here on AusBiz at 1:40. But um, Owen, what do you think of uh, of the trading update and uh, and also the Charter Hall whale?
2: Yeah, great. Great announcement obviously all around, it's you want um, a reputable fund manager to be buying good properties at opportune times. So you know, I'm here in Melbourne, I'm about 500 metres from the Burke Street uh, complex. And you know, it's a bit quiet at the moment, but it's a quality asset in probably the most populous street in Melbourne. So to get a stake in that at this time and, and to fund it the way they have makes a lot of sense. Obviously Charter Hall has a, a very strong reputation in the industry. And I mean, in this environment, Koshy, it's pretty plain to see that if you can gear um, a reit pretty conservatively, um, and you can also pass along a pretty good rental increase, and and you can, um, you can your shareholders can take full advantage of that. I mean, what's really not to like about it for a small part of a portfolio? Um, it's growing modestly, with you know, passing yield of around about five to six percent. In this environment, it's pretty favorable. Obviously, you have a lot of risks around property valuations and. And spaces in the city, but when you're buying high-quality assets, that that risk is mitigated, in my opinion.
1: Okay, what do you think about? It? Is
2: it worth getting into at these levels? I think you know, I speak to a few fund managers in the property side of things, and my current, um, I guess, feel for it is that across the board, if you're buying quality assets, you're going to be able to weather the work-from-home kind of malaise, and 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 you know, from before uh, COVID, we saw about, I think it was about one-third of. People in Australia reported working from home anyhow. And that's mm. obviously increased, um, which is having an impact on, on CBDs. But um, I think, you know, for a small position, you'd have it as kind of like an alternative income position, in my opinion, in a right. portfolio. So you would have it sitting alongside, not replacing a bond exposure. And for that, you're moving further up the risk curve, but you're getting more yield. So for a small position, yeah, Koshi, I think the Charter hole on Wow Rate is something worth looking at.
1: Okay.
0: What do you think, Luke? Um, look, it, it's hard to disagree with everything Owen just said. I mean, the acquisition today it, it fits their, uh, you know, modus operandi of, of high quality assets. You picked up the Burke Street mall, but even the other two, it's a uh, you know distribution center based up in Brisbane and a commercial center with Bunnings as a key tenant in Perth. So, um, you know, all the metrics around the acquisition fits perfectly into their existing portfolio. Um, yeah, you know, as far as you know the stock today I, I completely agree with Owen it depends on how it would fit within your portfolio but I think you're getting that sort of five and a half to six percent yield in this environment it's not too bad I think it's quite low risk given the quality of those assets um, so yeah for the investors who are seeking that income um, and, and you mentioned it at the top there um, Koshi it is a defensive sort of company so you, you're never going to get explosive growth out of this business but If you know what you're entering into, that 6% yield is attractive to you, then I have to agree. I think it it has a place in the portfolio for for those sorts of investors.
1: Okay. All right. Let's move on to the stocks that uh, our viewers have sent in. And the first one is Babcorp. Babcorp, the uh, um, automotive parts uh, company, just um, uh, has released its – had an investor day uh, this week and announced its five-year strategic plan, which – Looks pretty impressive, wants to open almost 700 new stores over the next five years, expand into Asia as well. Uh, they're big goals, Owen. What do you think of Backcorp?
2: Um, Daryl Lobotomy, Managing Director and CEO. I, I saw him present uh, just before COVID, I think it was, here in Melbourne. And um, every time I hear him speak, it, he just strikes me as someone who is very focused on the long-term um, vision that he want, really wants to execute it he wants to do right by shareholders so I place a lot of stock in him and his vision since the company IPO'd and to be honest there have been things along the way that have kind of caught me off guard um, you know acquisitions more into the retail space is I, I, I believe was always a risk although complementary to the, the existing kind of like trade servicing side of the business um, I think they've done a good job at executing and For listeners benefit and for Peter who who requested this one that we talk about today, I think the key insight with any of these automotive um, aftermarket parts businesses is that it's all about availability. You've got to have the SKUs in your warehouse and that's got to be close to the mechanic because if any of us, all three of us on the call, if we take our car in to get serviced, we want it to be returned home fixed that night. And so that means companies like Burson need to, or Bapcor, need to respond. Um, pretty much immediately with the stock availability. And in Australia, it's still growing. Um, It's got a repeatable business model. It can expand and refurbish. Um, The Asian business is still an infant. So I think, you know, that was spoken about in the recent five year plan. Just, I guess, you know, I guess it's just a wait and see with that approach. Um, For me, Koshi, if you're looking for a modest income, a pretty solid cap company in Australia, I would be happy to make a small position in BAPCOR today just being mindful that, you know, there, there are a few external factors that influence it, such as, you know, number of cars on the road, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, a small, a small position, a buy for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, to take your point, though, oh, in this five-year plan, I said almost 700 new stores. Um, 60 would be trade focus. So you made the point of differentiating trade and retail there. Um, and then... They're going to do 77 new auto barn stores 96 new auto pro stores sounds like they're going after that super cheap auto market as well
2: yeah i mean this is the thing the hardest part with any of these businesses in my opinion is the logistics so one of the things that and this is all the stuff that happens behind the scene you as a customer whether you're going through a mechanic for the trade side of things or whether you're a wholesale client Or whether you're uh, in the retail store just buying you know a a tin of oil or whatever um, that's all simple enough right the distribution in that sense is pretty easy but it's what happens behind the scenes how do you get the product from manufacturer to a a local center that can then be distributed and BAPCOR has been has proven itself to be the leader in that field you have Repco Repco, you have super cheap auto um, you have these other competitors but BAPCOR is definitely in my opinion Mm -hmm. the the leading business here in Australia. And this one final thing I'll talk on before I hog all the all the space for, from Luke, um, which is just that it's it's consolidating a lot of its assets, particularly here in Victoria, which are going to be more efficiencies out going from, you know, mm-hmm. 600 picks um, per day to 600 picks per hour for staff. So it's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. OK, that's great analysis. Luke, um, what's your view on Batcore?
0: Yeah, look, I'll keep it brief. Owen's covered it really well. Um we own it I'll, I'll disclose that in the in the in, in my Oracle emerging companies portfolio I really like the business I love the management just as, as Owen said um, and, and he, he stole my notes here I've got you know think of this as an inventory management system rather than uh, more than anything else so um, I completely agree you know the targets they put out the other day they're ambitious but uh, this is something they've done you know ever since they've been listed they've been willing to put out that really long-term guidance or, or medium-term guidance into the market and by and large they've hit those numbers as they've gone um, so yeah quite ambitious on the store rollout looking to do about five percent uh new stores a year um looking to increase the penetration of their uh their own branded products into these stores to to, to generate higher margins the white labeling of the of the burson brand um, and as owen was touching on at the end i, I think um one of the, the big drivers of, of margins moving forward will be the consolidation of their distribution. So they've they've uh, recently completed or, or about to complete, I should say, a state-of-the-art distribution centre down in Victoria. And that's going to consolidate um, 13 smaller distribution centres into one. Um, and, right. you know, open up their Prezo, have a look. You know, the, the, the photos they've got, it's quite impressive, um, you know, the, the technology they've used. Um, and, and, and Owen nailed it. This business is all about making sure you've got the right products in the right place at the right time. Um, they've demonstrated that trades about 22 times forward earnings, it's a, a touch higher than where it is historic, historically, it's usually around 19 to 20. But, you know, I think you've got um, great growth from the store rollout, great management team in place, the potential to get a bit more on the margin side. And then this blue skies Asian expansion. So for the first time, they've come out and said we want to do 500 million sales in Asia. The total business only did 1.7 billion last year. So that's very ambitious, um, you know, for what's effectively a, a you know a greenfields market for them. So look, um, we recently bought it about eight dollars. It's it's now about 8.50. Um, I, I still think it's a, it's a okay. buy even here. I wouldn't I wouldn't would jump into it straight away. But as Owen said, okay. a, a small entry. Why not?
1: Uh, confidence in the management. I must admit, I was a bit surprised when I saw a five-year strategic plan. Very few listed companies do that because you then benchmark on your success or failure against it. So good on them for doing it. Um, it's uh, uh, by the comments of you two. It's really good management. Good to see. Um, Luke Rob wants a view on Hello World Travel. The uh, uh, the big travel company, which I think Qantas has a stake in, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, Qantas has got a small stake, about 12 percent. Look, I I, I mean, you know, I'll get into some company specific stuff, but it's a a macro driven um, story right now, travel and the travel agents. And just as it looked like we were seeing that, that. uh, return of, of the recovery of domestic travel, we get hit by more you know state border closures and lockdowns. So wait and see what happens now, but they were just getting confident enough to put some guidance out into the market at the end of the third quarter. They may have to wind that back. Um, as for Hello World themselves, look, I actually, it's one I, I hadn't looked at too deeply, I must admit. So looking at it for the show today, I actually thought it was pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's, a, it's about a, a 260 mil market cap. It's a business that was doing about 40 million uh, pre-COVID. So, you know, if you can take a view maybe out to that FY2324, where hopefully we'll see that sort of full travel recovery and full earnings recovery. It doesn't look too bad around that six, seven times earnings. Um, CEO owns 25% of the business, yeah. um, and I think there's also some stability. They've got a whole of government contract um, for their uh, commercial travel segment, and I think um, you know while there's questions around corporate travel and the return of that, um, I, I think no doubt the Australian government will really want to try and see the return of travel and and really push for that that normalisation. I think it's 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 part of their. Um, you know, almost mandate on the government to ensure mm. that they're driving that recovery, you know, for for, for us all. So um, I think that's a, a real big positive for them to have that whole of government um, contract as well. So look, I'd have it as a hold just on the uncertainty yep. around, you know, like I said, the, the closures and the lockdowns. The balance sheet doesn't look too bad. They've got enough liquidity to, to, to last them through um, at, at current burn rates to the end of um, sort of 2023. And they were sort of hoping to get back to EBITDA positive by... Um, uh, December this year. So wait and see if that that, that gets wound back. Mm. But, you know, they've, they've wound back their cost base well, but I'd still just have it as a whole, just on okay. the, the uncertainty of, of restrictions right now.
2: Owen, hello world travel. Yeah. Yeah. I, once again, Luke kind of, in my opinion, nailed it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a smaller company. So um, for investors looking at allocating to this, you'd have to think of it as a smaller position in a higher risk industry. Um, uh, one of the things that jumped out to me, I don't know Hello World too well. Normally, if I'm looking for exposure to this sector, I would probably err on the side of Webjet or even Flight Centre, um, but probably in that order. So Webjet, Flight Centre, then Hello World. Um, the, the thing that jumped out to me is the alignment. So we've still got you know, such great alignment in this business. Uh, yes, we, we've seen some share price weakness in recent times. Yes, um, the company's been propped up by a lot of government stimulus I know, you know, myself, I uh, I purchased $29 tickets to Sydney mm-hmm. and I was absolutely delighted and I did, you know, take advantage of, of those sales to go and to buy more tickets for our team to travel as well. So, you know, those incentives definitely work and they get that uh, total transaction volume, that TTV up for Hello World. Um, the thing to be mindful of is, I guess, competition as well, like longer term, how does that fare coming out of this, this downturn? Um, and and to Luke's point, I guess the, the, the financing um, element of it, it still has a bit of liquidity, but for my for my purposes, given the uncertainty, um, I probably wouldn't be buying at this time, just because um, I, I typically t- tend to avoid companies with a lot of debt. Obviously, you can get companies bounce off the bottom when they have that kind of embedded leverage. But for me, Koshy, it's probably a hold so similar to Luke. Um, okay. I just probably take a different exposure, maybe go for a market leader like Webjet that has a bit more um, tech exposure.
1: Okay. All right. And um, Owen, Ryan wants a view on Adairs, the big uh, homewares retailer that ramped up mm. its, uh, its digital footprint during COVID and did pretty well.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, so the, the digital footprint is, is probably the key, the key element here. Uh, coming out of COVID, it was impacted by obviously by Melbourne being uh, locked down. And so it needed to have that online exposure. Last time I was on the call, actually, Koshi, we spoke about Temple and Webster, yep. which operates in, in, a, in a similar vertical um, and it's probably best known for its online presence. Um, so Temple and Webster is probably my preferred play here just because it didn't have to make an acquisition necessarily uh, to get that ramp in, in digital sales. Uh, that said, you know, Adairs, if you go to most shopping centers, you'll find one. Um, and the, the, the physical stores are still growing pretty well. Um, we say stimulus checks in Australia. I don't see anyone walking around with checks per se, but um, we still have an impact from that, I think, in the financials. So, you know, extremely good free cash flow generation out of the business, really good dividend yield, at least trailing. Um, the question for every analyst, and I, I'm afraid I don't have necessarily any insight here um, that goes beyond maybe saying what Luke could offer, um, but basically is the, is the growth sustainable? Um, mm-hmm. We want repeatable business. We want repeatable, I guess, store rollouts, if that's the case. Um, for me, it's probably a hold just based on that uncertainty. And I'd yeah. probably look to something like Templeton Temple and Webster first. Okay. Uh,
0: Luke, Adairs. Um Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's, it was a fantastic result at the half year. Owen I, I touched on it. Obviously, a, a big bring forward from with COVID. They were able to pivot online brilliantly. But... Um, you know just got some of the numbers here 35% growth it was basically all like for like um, there was no new stores there that's all great leverage through to the margins gross margins 60% to 66 um, EBIT uh, margins from 12 to 25 I mean a double of your EBIT margin um, is, is, is a fantastic result anyway you you, you spin it um look it, it, it trades cheap even on fy 22 forecasts about 11 times but but oh nailed it it's, it's what do those outer years look like um the, the bulls will say um that, that you know uh, they've, they've increased market penetration they've got a very good membership system actually linen lovers they call it uh, and they drove some good subscription to that membership service so that should see some ongoing sales um i, I have a, i have it as a hold as well and 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 Um, They actually had an announcement the other day. Uh, They acquired a business called Mocker. Um, and the announcement was they brought forward the uh, consideration to, to pay for the remainder of this Mocha acquisition. Um, and if you run through the multiple that they uh, essentially brought forward, it implies that Mocha's second half earnings will be about flat on first half. And this was a business that was doing 33% growth um, in that first half. So straight away, the market goes, oh, there's some questions there. Like, how does this business do flat second half earnings when that trajectory was so strong? Um, is it sales? have slowed down is it margins of increase is that being seen on the adair side of the business because mock is only about ten percent so it doesn't it won't drive the stock in and of itself but it may you know point to what's happening at the wider group so I think that's why you've seen this sell-off just over the last week or so. Um, I think you know about five bucks back to that 450. Um, I, I would just hold just until we get those full-year results. There'll be more granularity on on what exactly has happened there at Mocha, um with that slowdown. Is that a is that across the wider group? Um, but you know, looking forward, it's 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 cheap. It's still got very good growth, which you know maybe a little bit questionable moving forward. It looks interesting, but I'd just hold it just until you get more answers around that question uh, with Mocha. Okay.
1: All right, good advice there. Um, look, Nick wants a view on LaserBond. Now, I don't think laser bond's come up on the call before. It's a, a specialist surface engineering company. It says um, it uses energy from a high-powered laser to bond surfaces and, and metals together and has just done a deal uh, for that technology with a North American company.
0: Yeah, look, this is this is a business I know really well, um, yeah. you know, uh, and, and actually I'm not sure whether uh, Nick's aware, but I, I I did a presentation on this business. Um, if he wants to look it up on YouTube, um, just just Google something like with uh, Luke Winchester Laser Bond. Um, yeah you summed it up there caution with what their technology is so they effectively take a laser um a metal oxide powder and they bond a microscopic surface to the piece of a, of a heavy machinery and what that does is it increases the wear life of the machinery anywhere from from sort of three to even seven eight nine ten times um so it allows the the the, the users of that heavy machinery um to to really lengthen their uh, maintenance cycles and, and provides real value to um to, to the product so um, their core business has been doing that for customers so customers will ship them a piece of machinery they'll, they'll code it with their laser bond solution send it back and that's been you know a, a very good business for them over over many years um, sort of grown between that 10 to um, as 20 percent as the technology has, has sort of become more accepted but the excitement around the stock and, and sort of what got me excited and a few others have, have sort of now um, joined in is they're looking to now license that technology overseas and, and seen a bit of success with it. You, you pointed out that they've signed up a, um, a US multinational engineering company. They've also got a, a, another one in the UK as well. And so uh, big potential for this business because you know, the licensing model, similar to, to franchisees, it's just so capital light. You're taking your technology, someone else is fronting up all of the capex, the sales, and, and you know, all of the stuff that needs to go into, to, to build out a solution. And you're just collecting license fees on top, and also some consumable fees from um, selling the uh, metal oxide powders. So, look, it's one that I really like. It's it's had a very strong run. I, I would actually hesitate to say it's still a buy even at these levels. Um, I, I would I would it's it's a small cap though. Um, keep that in mind for anyone looking at it. It is small. It is illiquid. The um, the, the, the founding family still owns somewhere between like 40 to 50% of the business. Right. So that's, that's why it's so illiquid. Um, but look, for a small position and you're willing to take a two or three year view on, on you know some genuine Aussie tech looking to go overseas, um, I, I still really like this business. And, and, and yeah, if you want to know more, just just check out that YouTube mm. uh, video I put up.
1: Yeah, I, I Googled it. So Nick, if you want a 26 minute presentation on it, go to Luke's... <laughs> YouTube, well, it look terrific, I'll just skim through it, so uh, yeah. uh, which is terrific for small companies like this to have such an in-depth analysis on it. Uh, Owen, what do you think of LaserBond?
2: Yeah, um, so I think of Luke as probably the original, the OG in terms of LaserBond. Um, we recommended it to our members uh, just over a year ago now, I think it was. And um, we've been big fans of it ever since um, inside of what we call our Rockets program. And um, I think from memory, it was actually even in the last quarter review that we did my number one amongst that cohort of companies. So just to just to maybe add on um, some things just on the end of Luke's comments there. So basically, there are three divisions. Um, Luke touched on the technology division kind of being this this, uh, jewel in the crown, if you like. Um, because it's it's effectively mostly margin. So it's a lot of margin that they get for just licensing the software, uh, the, the technology, sorry, which um, up until you know, COVID, they had some issues getting uh, you know, boots on the ground and actually getting a meeting and making these deals happen. But we're starting to see it accelerate and the interest based on what management is saying is actually peaking now. So um, the way I think about it is that the servicing business and the, the products businesses, which are effectively, you know, bring the machine in or, you know, we'll come to you Um, maintenance and and surface repairs. And then you've got the products, which is like OEM products and and bespoke stuff. Um, The way I think about it is those two businesses actually support the optionality that's embedded inside LaserBond. So without those two businesses, the technology business obviously wouldn't exist. Um, And so the way I think about evaluation of LaserBond is take those two businesses, which did slow down a bit in COVID, but are now accelerating out. And then you get all the other technology and the, the adjacencies that they're expanding into, basically on top of your valuation. And with, you know, extreme alignment, um, industry-leading tech, I think they're the largest, I could be wrong here, Luke, but I, I believe they're the largest um, surface engineering company in Australia now. They look like they could make um, inroads to having a bit more of a footprint in WA, maybe even Queensland. So um, you're getting a lot in a small company. And um, like Luke said, just be aware, it can be a liquid. it's volatile, but, yeah, a really high conviction buy so for me considering it is risky. Yeah.
1: Okay, so still up at these levels, though, 90 cents?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, they've got an ambitious, ambitious target for okay. next year or the year after, which is 40 million revenue based on a 90 million market cap. You've got to kind of square that. Right. But um, with a longer term view, smaller position, I, I quite like it.
1: OK, excellent. Owen, oh, uh, what about um, Calyx? Tony wants a view on that. Still in that sort of, if you like, technology manufacturing space this time in the kiln area and uh, um, you sort of reinventing itself there. Uh, recently, won a million-dollar grant from the uh, Australian government's manufacturing modernization fund. So that's um, sort of gives it more credibility, doesn't it? If the government's willing to put money in there.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's won a few of these over time now. And I think the thing to keep in mind is that um, you know we've just jumped off laserbond and talking about how it does surface engineering. Um, us as analysts, we have to kind of wrap our head around these companies pretty quickly. So yeah. this is a new company for me. And I was trying to piece together some information um, in the lead up to the call today. And my primitive understanding, I've got to be honest, is primitive, um, is effectively they create more efficient uh, materials that can go into use you know, in water environments. So they create effectively a honeycomb um, material rich structure. And they can take the CO2 that's emitted from this, if you think about it, like a kiln. Um, the CO2 that's emitted, and and use that for other applications as well. So it's it's I guess it's a play on kind of being environmentally friendly while also delivering right. a more you know advanced material. Um, just to, just to run through some numbers here: uh, sixteen million dollars in revenue for the half year, which was up considerably. Forty you percent know, of the revenue is project and grant income, so keep that in mind. Um, and the majority of the growth that we could determine was actually acquisitive. So um, again, you've got to keep that in mind. Um, I, I, guess, I guess the thing is, Koshi, that when we talk about investing, if I could add some value um, to, to listeners and to viewers today, is just that you've got to understand these businesses in the context of where they sit in your circle of competence. And for me, this business is on the edge of my circle of competence. Um, so you don't have to swing yeah. at every pitch. And um, for me, you know, I'm just going to take the safe road and go for a hold. Um, I'd want to see more cash flow, more revenue before I, before I make a move.
0: Yeah. All right. What do you reckon, Luke? Um, look again Owen's uh, pretty much spot on and, and his experience with this is the same as mine it was one I was I'd heard of I was sort of familiar with but never really taken a look at um, and, and looking deeper into it it, it looks interesting and, and the technology he's sort of um, you know his understanding was similar to mine trying to get your head around it in, in just a couple of hours they've got this kiln technology um, and, and and by using that um, they can hopefully um, capture co2 and it produces um, uh, these nanomaterials that have some interesting qualities they're looking at Battery technology and, and uh, water purification. Um, to be honest, with only a couple of hours, I want to spot on with only a couple of hours. Look, it was really hard to get your head around exactly where this business wants to go. Because if you have a look at their presentations, they sort of highlight four or five of these verticals that they claim are all multi-billion-dollar opportunities. But it's hard to see exactly where they fit into each of them and where they would be in the in the you know the value chain and, and things like that. Um, so, look, I, I think it's, it's it's definitely one of those story stocks. That was one of the notes I had down. It, it ties perfectly that ESG theme. The positives, I would say, is, look, the, the board and management, um, you know, they, they're definitely um, – got the uh, the expertise in this space. If you look at their resumes, they own 15% of the business between them. They've signed some very interesting um, sort of um, joint ventures and, and product testing with some big names, Adbri, uh, Pilbara Minerals, um, Heidelberg Cement, you know. Uh, so I, I think the tech is, is obviously uh, real and interesting. It's just how much of that is actually, could be commercialised and, and what's in the price today. Um, you know, Rudy Ek van Dyke, who comes on, likes to say that, you know, you you have a story here, but not a business. And that's sort of how I view this as well. It's just hard for me to say, well, what's the actual business here? The story does look really interesting. Um, so, look, I, I, if you held it today, you probably wouldn't sell it because you own it because of that story. And it does seem to be playing out with the grants they're winning and the JVs they're signing. But for someone like myself coming to it new today, it's just very hard to buy it with um yeah. With where it's at at that 400 mil market cap, and, and you know, uh, with it, it, take away the grants, it's probably like 20 mil revenue. So, um, yeah, it's tough, tough a, to come out with a buy.
1: It's a, had, a, had a big run in the share price as well. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. If
1: you look at that chart, that's a massive run up to the two, 296 mark. All right, let's just recap um, first five stocks. Uh, Charter Hall Whale, uh, REIT, um, a yes from both Owen and Luke. If you're looking for, for yield and you're looking for a defensive stock, uh, consider it for your portfolio. Babcorp, a yes from both. Hello World, a hold. Adairs, a hold. Um, Owen, in that sort of homewares space, prefers Temple and Webster. Uh, Laser Bond, a, a yes from both of them. And Calix, a hold. Well, it's a special day here on the call, the one year anniversary about Fantasy Portfolio. We commenced the Calls Portfolio on July 1 last year. Of course, you know by now how it works, and that is an active portfolio. All the stocks that get two thumbs up or a buy from both our experts on the show, and we've been putting that stock into the portfolio. The stocks already in the portfolio that get a sell or a hold rating are then removed. So let's take a look at the year that was, and. That's been pretty impressive. Uh, Total returns basis, including dividends and special payments against the S&P ASX 200. We're up at 34.58%. That's an outperform on the local index by almost 8%. The calls portfolio is, of course, the blue line. The ASX 200 is the red line. Um, Now, on the dividend front, around 2.3% was paid into our pockets over the year. Uh, now, what you've all been waiting for, I'm sure, the top and bottom contributors. Let's start with the, the leaders uh, Whisper and uh, the um, uh, software manufacturer platform. Globe International uh, took out the top two. That's, of course, the Globe is the streetwear uh, skateboarding um, uh, group. Uh, Atomos. Uh, did well for us. The, uh, the tech business that turns your uh, iPhone uh, vision into uh, cinematic, cinematic uh, vision. Dampstra Holdings and Ava Risk Group. Uh, Market Darling Afterpay also making the cut, although uh, placed in ninth. Webjet, Betmakers and Credit Corp making up the rest of the world as well. Now the duds on the layguards. uh Avita Medical, the worst performer. We're also in Appen and Newicks. Tough year for the newly listed Newicks, of course, and Appen has uh, really been riding down. Um, Also, rounding out the bottom contributors Insurance Australia Group, Horizon Holdings, and IDP Education. Now, breaking it down by sector, a good chunk of our portfolio is made up of ETFs and LICs. Uh, and other investments that are not listed companies. That comprise about 22% of the uh, of the portfolio. Uh, the biggest category though is materials at 14.7% of the holding. Now the best performing sector uh, when compared for, for the broader index was uh, Infotech with a total return to our portfolio of nearly 120%. The broader index only 38.7%. We do though, have our shortcomings, of course, uh, here at Osbys. it is all about balance the um, the worst performing sector in terms of performance, even though it was one of our biggest holdings was materials with only a 9.6% uh, percent total return compared with a broader index of 32.4. Now, to get a full list of the stocks in the Calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. So... A pretty good first year for the Calls Fantasy portfolio. On a quick programming note, uh, we just uh, assessed Charter Hall, Long Whale, uh, Reit a bit earlier here on the call. Arby Enger, the uh, the fund manager there who uh, runs the portfolio, will be uh, joining the team in uh, just over an hour's time here on Ausbiz, so hang out for that. All right, let's get back into uh, the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And uh, Luke, uh, Gareth wants a view on Energy One. Again, I think that this is the first time this stock has come up on the portfolio. Uh, a supplier and developer of software and services uh, to energy companies and utilities. Uh, have you got a view on Energy One?
0: Yeah, look, again, full disclosure, it's one we own in, in my emerging company's portfolio. Um, as you just said, Koshi, so these guys do uh, energy software. They, they create the software that sits in between energy generators, retailers and, and heavy users of that energy. Um, so they're used for the purchasing, settlement, uh, risk management of, of energy prices. Um, and, and look, they're, they're a hidden, um, you know, a fantastic performer on the stock market over many years. Um, they've actually got about a 50% market share in Australia, really really sticky um, software as well so um, the, the only real churn they have is some natural attrition as, as businesses go under but otherwise they, they generally um, uh, keep very sticky uh, customers um, the uh, the big growth engine of this business now is they're looking to take their Australian experience and move over to Europe. And and funny enough, you, you probably wouldn't suspect it, but the Australian energy market's one of the most sophisticated in the world. So mm. we were the first market to move to 30-minute uh, settlements on, on um, energy um, prices. Um, and from October this year, we're actually going to move to five-minute settlements and, and, and once again wow. lead the world. So um, when, when um, Energy One takes their offering overseas, they're actually very well regarded by by some of these other countries because the australian market is is well known to be highly regulated um highly complex and the software that sits in between and manages all that is is obviously uh very complex very sticky and, and and that's why eol does so well so about a 5% market share in Europe. That's where all the growth is going to come from. Okay. Um, you know, it trades on about 30 to 35 times next year's earnings, which is not cheap. But for software, that's about average. You know, you, you, most software businesses trade of that uh, more premium market multiple. Um, it's giving you good growth, about 15 to 20% a year. Um, some acquisitions in there, but they've digested them. So now it's going to be organic growth, you know, really driving those acquisitions. Over in Europe to try and get some organic growth. Um, management and and, and the board own again. It's it's very liquid. Bear that in mind. Um, they own somewhere like 50 to 60% of this business. Um, but, yeah, it's one to, to, to really have a good look at if you've never looked at it before. Um, very interesting business, going strong. Look, at these levels, I would actually still have it as a buy. Um, mm. You know, I think that multiple quickly comes down. Um, I wouldn't chase it, though. Bear in mind, like I said, it's a liquid um, to the point where even sort of 20 to $25,000 parcels could really move this stock. So so be patient yeah. with it. But even where it is now, I would, I would, I would have it as a buy.
1: Okay, so dribble any investment in. Um, Owen, what do you think of Energy One?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with everything Luke said. If this is the first time Laserbond's been on the show and Energy One, I think it's a delight that he and I got to talk about it, yep. or both of them. <laughs> um, so Energy One is the company that I've loved to, I would love to own, but I haven't been able to for a very long time. And the reason okay. I haven't been able to own it is because, um, unlike Luke, we run a membership service, and we have many hundreds of investors trying to buy shares at any one time, and there simply aren't enough Energy One shares to go around. Fortunately for the the calls fantasy portfolio, it can go in and not worry about liquidity because I'm going to give it a, a buy as well, right. um, just on the basis of what Luke said that it is you know quite volatile because of that illiquidity. Um, so some of the things to keep in mind is that Energy One is you know has extreme um, insider ownership. Um, it's it's got a talented management team super sticky to the point where it's almost too sticky because it makes it a little bit harder to grow when you're a bit mature in the markets but that's why we've seen them execute some pretty um, calculated um, acquisitions you know they've got uh, contigo in the in the uk and they've got uh, e- e- easy energy in in france um, these are businesses that have a long growth runway um, the, the th- it's actually if you actually dig into the SaaS multiple so the software as a service multiples you typically don't think of like an energy software business as having SaaS multiples they're probably some of the best on the ASX, so of all the technology companies. Some of the some of the I guess the cons, if that was the pros list, the cons would be you know the illiquidity. So keep that in mind. Um, be very uh, calculated in how you position yourself when you make trades. Um, you know I want to see more cash flow generation. I think the business is more than capable of that. It's on a pretty high multiple at the moment, but going forward, as they get synergies out mm. of those um, European businesses, they'll will see cash flow tick up. Um, and obviously just valuation, you're paying about six times sales. But again, as Luke said, it's a compounder. It has been for, you know, five years. Um, a really impressive smaller business um, that could make a very handy addition to a, to a portfolio.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, great analysis. Thank you for that, you two. Um, now, Charles Owen wants uh, your opinion on Data3, another uh, information technology IT company.
2: Mm. Yeah, so Data3 is much larger business, much, much yeah. larger. So... Um, it's a really interesting business. It's it's kind of been a few through a few phases in its lifetime. Uh, Data3 is one of the largest, if not the largest, in Asia, Asia Pacific for this IT servicing um, type of business. So that means that it doesn't it's not you know a, a public cloud business. It doesn't have Amazon. Uh, it's not building its own servers to compete against Amazon necessarily, although it does do private cloud environments. So it's basically IT IT solutions alongside you know um, enabling. Um, a cloud environment. So think about if you have a business and you're in lockdown in Sydney and then all of a sudden you need to move and transition quickly to an online environment fully cloud-based, a company like Data3 will help you do that. Mm. And so um, over the last years, we've seen an explosion. Last few years, we've seen an explosion in this cloud-based businesses, as there's been this massive move to work from home, and that's really what's led kind of this recovery in the share price and and really just you know, I, I guess exponential growth in the in the top line. Some of the things to keep in mind is that um, you know, although 62% of revenue is under longer-term contracts, you still have a bit of that project revenue. Margins do tend to be a bit thinner than your standard technology business, so keep that in mind. Um, It targets larger customers, enterprises, etc. So if there's any sort of brand reputation damage there, um, you know, you might, that would be a key risk in my mind. But no debt, $68 million of cash, a bit seasonal, with thin margins, but, you know, a really impressive business for the long haul, I think, like Technology One, which is a similar business on the ASX. um, I think this is a a kind of that mid cap that you can put into your portfolio pretty soundly for the long term. So a buy for me.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, Luke, data three? Yeah, again, look, full disclosure, we own it in the emerging companies. Um, Owen was spot on. It's a business that's uh, really changed, particularly over the last maybe four or five years. So just rewind, like historically what this business used to be would, a government department would call them up and say, we're doing an IT refresh and we need 200 computers with screens, you know, mouse and some software installed. Data3 does that, charges, you know, however many million dollars um, and it's big, lumpy contracts. But... Grew relatively, uh, grew relatively um, steady just on the back of IT spend and things like that, but you know it wasn't it wasn't a sexy business by any means. What's changed over the last couple of years is the explosion of, of, of cloud software. And so Owen touched on it. These guys don't do their own cloud software. They're not selling their own software solution. Oh, sorry, he, he didn't mention do a tiny bit, but primarily what they do is they onboard clients onto other cloud solutions. So now what happens is the government department comes to Data3 and, and same thing, we might need 200 computers, but what we also need is 200 subscriptions to Office 365. Um, or Amazon AWS for something else we're doing. And so right. Data3 facilitates that onboarding. Um, but what happens next is instead of signing a license that then has to be renewed every three or five years, mm. um, it's just a perpetual subscription that Data3 continues to collect the ticket on, um, uh, you know, as these SaaS models do. So it's it's significantly changed the economics of this business to the point where um, it, it's much the, the margins are starting to shift, Uh, because there's no longer any real... Uh, having to win new sales there's all ongoing support but they're not having to win new sales it's just ongoing um, clipping of the ticket. so yeah this is a business that used to trade at about 17 to 18 times earnings that's now up around the 30 and i think that reflects that change in the business model um, if you go back to the half year res- result there was a couple of question marks the major one being they grew their revenues by about 20 percent but didn't see any gross profit growth and um, if you if you look at the briefing that management put out they sort of touched on the reasons why um, and, and with I wanted to say it explicitly. It sounded like they really drove some more of these software sales, which don't have the immediate um, flow through right. to the profit line. But again, as those out of years tick over and they're just clipping the ticket, um, you'll see the profits come through. So, look, I think it's had a, a decent sort of correction in time. The share price you've got the chart up there has, has really gone nowhere now for the better part of sort of six, nine months. I think it looks really interesting. Um, I, I have it as a buy as well um, okay. at these levels. Yeah, um, right. and, and I think it's definitely one that could sit in a portfolio and compound Okay, great. Um, now, Luke Braden wants a
1: view on Veeam. and it's in the um, uh, they say it's in the marine propulsion and stabilization system business, which they do everything from luxury motor yachts to ferries and defence industries. Uh, Share price has been on a tear recently because uh, they won a contract with the. Uh, the government sub- submarine refurbishing uh, in Adelaide at the moment. What do you think of Veeam?
0: Yeah, look, another uh, family-owned business. So the uh, uh family, they own 60% of this, and, and Veeam's actually their initials, I believe. Um, look, so, yeah, primarily focused on uh, marine propulsion, which is their propeller business, do a bit of defence stuff with the submarines, as you mentioned. What's really got the market excited about this business, though, is they're focusing on gyro stabilisers, which um, are installed into a ship, at the flick of a button, these gyro stabilisers spin at, you know, uh, insane revs per minute and they counteract the effect of a boat rolling. Um, uh, it, jump onto, uh, onto YouTube on, and, and, you know, Google V gyro stabilisers. They have some videos on YouTube that show, you know, when these things turn on and off. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing, actually, to huh. see it in action. Um, so what's got the markets excited is they have... A, a world-leading product, basically. It's head and shoulders above any sort of peer globally um, in the sense that it's, it's it's a much more powerful gyroscope um, and it allows for it to be installed in much larger uh, vessels. So they're now able to, uh, historically, this has been a product for sort of, you know, small yachts and things like that. They can now target much larger vessels, you know, defence, uh, military, um, you know, uh, passenger vehicles, things like that, ferries. So that's what's got the market excited. They're getting some decent traction so far you know they've seen decent growth they've got it up to about four or five million uh sales a year these gyroscopes but so confident management are that they can really grow this business they've already got a factory that can produce a hundred million worth of the gyroscopes uh already done so look it's one that i think it, the price has run really hard which is why yeah. i would hold it right today i wouldn't chase it but definitely keep an eye on it really interesting business doing some really cool stuff
1: gee you're a real youtube addict aren't you uh I've, <laughs> ju- I've i've just done this as well it is very impressive these g- gyroscopes yeah. problem yeah, was i had the sound the turned light. up but anyhow yeah that, uh, that's amazing technology uh alan yeah. what do you think of me? uh
2: i don't really have much more to add beyond what what luke just mentioned but um yeah i i again i saw some actually product demonstrations myself and um it's actually pr- very impressive and just some of the applications. you know you can imagine if you have a super yacht or, or some sort of um, commercial vehicle, you don't want propellers you know swimming around when you when, you, when there are people swimming yeah. around when there are things in the water like nets, uh, anything like that. and if you're if you have a defense craft, obviously if you're firing a missile, for example, you want to be as stable as possible. So this is basically the lowest intrusion on the vessel. You don't necessarily need to take it out of the water to install it. Uh, there's so many benefits that save time and effort. Um, again, really interesting business has shot the lights out. So just in summary, um, good business. I just have it as a hold based on valuation. Yep. Okay.
1: All right. Uh, Tom wants a view on um, Owen uh, Volpara Health, the, uh, uh, the breast imaging analytics business. Mm.
2: Yeah. So Volpara is a business that we've had a lot of conviction in for quite a while. And um, we've spoken to Ralph Heinem, who's the PhD um, and a co-founder, but basically the, the founder and, and CEO of the business today. Um, so in the last 24 months, uh, I, maybe I'll just start with what the business actually does. So the business actually used mathematical formulas and imaging to um, calculate a woman's breast density. And from that, you can figure out what the the, the risk is based on you know, a, a sample size. And um, the company's focusing on the US. It's a Kiwi business listed in Australia, but it's focusing on the US, where the, the catalyst was um, an FDA, uh, the FDA making it mandatory for, for all clinics to give women a breast density score after they got a mammogram, uh, which we haven't seen mandated yet. Obviously, there's been a lot going on in the US with elections and, and COVID. But um, I guess some of the things to keep in mind is that it's a SaaS business. It's, it's run by people that have a scientific background, very technical heavy, lots of alignment Um, They have made a few acquisitions in recent times, which has boosted market share to around about 30 percent of all clinics and screening centers in the U.S. Um, They've also made some, uh, I guess, strategy changes. So um, our conviction has lessened. Um, There are a few things in the recent announcement. For example, it looks like annualized recurring revenue is actually above what they expect revenue to be. So I don't. We couldn't kind of square that one how you could have Mm. an estimate of that annualized revenue based on the current customers to be above where you expect revenue to be Um, it doesn't really make sense to us Um, the other thing is that there's been a kind of change of strategy so traditionally um, the business is focused on technicians like radiologists etc doctors going to trade shows etc during covid they pivoted to be focused on the on the woman and getting her uh, aware of what's available for her when she goes for one of these screens um, and now they've gone back to do kind of the doctor centric thing. Right. Um, so really interesting business, still burning cash, high valuation. We have it as a buy recommendation, um, but it's kind of on the edge in terms of being between a buy and a hold. So I would exercise caution. I'll go a speculative buy at this stage, Koshi. Okay.
0: All right. Luke, Bob yeah, look, it sounds like one that Owen probably knows a little bit better than me. Um, I, was, I was familiar with it a, a couple of years ago. I had a, a bit of a look and it and, and wasn't until looking at the list today I sort of came back to it. And I must admit, I was really impressed by that statistic that, you know, they've got 32% of women in the US have had one of their products applied to them when they have a breast screen. So it's a significant penetration for a, um, you know, small NZ slash uh, Australian business. We'll, we'll take the, the claim now that on the ASX. <laughs> um, it's not small, you know, 300 mil market cap, um still still unprofitable but but consensus has it getting there sort of fy24 um growth is pretty solid you know even though they've sort of put some acquisitions on top trying to back out those acquisitions i still have them doing maybe about 20% organic growth which is, is not too bad but um you, you're paying about that 10 times recurring revenue you, you, you may want a little bit more but In that medical space it is it is a lot stickier so that probably um you know compensates there um and i found it impressive as well that they've been able to grow their their average revenue per user um, some of that through the acquisitions but uh they're looking now at, at, at sort of uh, moving more to a, a platform of solutions rather than just selling one solution to to a clinic. They're trying to upsell um, some of the others they had. Look, I'd have it as a hold um, just on that valuation. The, the business looks fantastic. Their tagline, I jotted down here, saving families from cancer. So it's a business you know, yeah. we all hope does extremely yeah, you want, well. You
1: want it to succeed.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. But just that valuation at 10 times, yeah. as, as, as I would say, a couple of not red flags, but orange flags in, in the last report, I, I would put a hold on it. Okay. All
1: right. And our final stock, uh, we need to get through this one pretty quickly, guys, because we're running out of time. Louise, uh, Luke wants a view on Cedar Woods Property, the uh, property development company, basically into urban land subdivision, um, into townhouses, uh, apartments, commercial.
0: Yeah, look, they're a very diversified um, developer across across land and, and, and the actual um, construction themselves, and even geographically, um, primarily WA, I think 57% WA, yes. in WA, but, but a little bit in Victoria, Queensland, South Australia as well. Um, they're, they're doing really well. Like, you know, anecdotally, you know, we've heard about WA property for, for a while and, and they're now seeing it in their numbers. So they, they recently upgraded from, from 29 million to 32 million forecast pad, and um, uh, they've, they've advised of, of record pre-sales now uh, twice in just the last few weeks so that's gone from 426 million to, to 439 um, look historically it's been a, a steady but a, but a lower growth business it's it's not really my style it's sort of you know come back to it was sort of bookended the conversation with charter hall uh, Long whale and then now these guys um, but you know for, for certain investors who, who, who want that more defensive outlook um, you know it, it can certainly do the job okay. um, and, and even you know the short-term momentum they've got um, bear in mind that even they flag, they're sort of at the mercy of, of, of housing stimulus and policies. But right now, that's supportive. Um, they're, they're in a nice little upgrade cycle. So, for, for the right type of investor, I would actually wouldn't hesitate to buy this. Okay. Alan? Um
2: I think it comes back to first principles for me. If I was looking at this business, I would want to know, I would want to understand, is the growth sustainable? Because, as Luke said, we, we at the top of the show, we chatted about the Charter Hole uh, long whale rate. If you're looking for income, I'd probably choose that option. Um, if you're looking for a diversified play on Australian property, uh, developers, REITs, etc., I might be inclined to go for maybe like the Vanguard property securities yeah. ETF, which kind of combines them all into one. Um, I just think, uh, like like Luke, this is really in my wheelhouse. This is not a business that I focus on day to day. I was chatting to a colleague who also has a, a property development business on the side, and he was saying that... You know, they're, they're a reputable outfit, they're good. They're probably not at the top of the stack, but um, in terms of, you know, their competition, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a rep, they're a reputable provider, residential land pretty much primarily. Um, I'd probably have it as a hold and try, and if I wanted income, I'd go to something more like the whale REIT. Um, if I wanted growth and a bit of yield, I'd go for maybe something like a diversified okay. ETF. All
1: right, Aron uh, Roscovitch from Media. Great to see you, mate. Thank you very much. Luke Winchester from Oracle uh, Investment Management great to have you aboard it's fabulous yeah, Thanks, you're back again Thanks, so. uh, thank you chaps uh we just uh finish on our final five stocks uh the guys are a yes on energy one a yes on data three uh, a hold on veem um, volpara a hold from owen speculative buy from uh, uh sorry speculated buy from uh from owen and a hold from luke and cedar woods a yes from luke and a hold from owen Um, that's our show for today if you want any stocks you want us to cover stick them in an email uh, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiz tv handle don't forget if you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and don't forget to subscribe to the full wrap-up of the day the cob newsletter uh you get scuddy's view a link to the cob podcast or links to the most popular videos um, as well and uh, you can subscribe to all of that osbiz.co forward slash the cob startup daily show this afternoon um, they're joined by piet polman as his company zeke uh, sets off for the olympics with its sailing gear that's coming up on the startup daily show A lot more of Osby's happening next after this.